Welcome to Enter VR. My name is Chris Miranda, and today I am joined by Sean Edwards, the creator of Lunar Flight. Thank you for coming on the show, uh, Sean. Thanks for asking me to come and have a chat, Chris. I'm very excited because uh, Lunar Flight, um, from what I've been able to play, is is such an awesome looking game. And this is, and, and so c could you tell me what went into you know, your inspiration for this game? What, what was that whole building game process looking like? Um, well, uh, I, I started working on Lunar Flight uh, in 2010. Sure. So, you know, three years ago, close three years ago, uh, around this time of the year, I think it was. I used to work for, I, I worked in the games industry for about 10 years uh, in the Australian games industry, worked for a few different studios. And a lot of those studios closed up after the, the GFC, the global financial crisis. Sure. Um, a lot of publishers pulled out of the Australian uh, business. So um, after, while I was uh, in between jobs, I I started playing around with Unity one evening. A lot of my friends were using. This is the first time I kind of uh, tried it out. Uh, so one Sunday evening, just installed it, started playing around with it, and I um, I had been playing this game called Armadillo Run for some time. It's a little indie game. And uh, it, basically, it's a physics game where you have to get a ball into an end zone, and you have to build using physics components and materials to get the ball to the end zone. Nice. And it had rockets as part of um, one of the little materials you could use. You could attach rockets and timers and make them fire off and carry carry the ball. And I really enjoyed that that because you could just build like there was a, it had a free build mode. And you could just build little rockets and stuff, and I really kind of enjoyed that because you could you know you can set how much thrust they had and all of those sorts of things. And I had fun just trying to get them to hover and you know playing around with the physics of it. So the first thing I kind of did in Unity was just made a box that, uh, and you could press a key and, and make it thrust up. And uh, and it had like four little stumpy legs on it as well. And um, I thought, okay, that, I got that working. Um, uh, I'll, uh, I'll see if I can you know, add, add the analog control to it so I could you know, have a nice smooth input thrust for it. And I uh, got that working. And then, you know, about a day or two later, I'd, I'd spent... A, I spent a crazy amount of time just playing with this thing. I got really, really absorbed uh, in building. I was having a lot of fun with it, and um, I made a little prototype, which you know very much resembles what Lunar Flight kind of is today. Um, you know, with the split cameras, and uh, if you play Lunar Flight without the Oculus mode, um, with this, you know, the split view and all those sorts of things. So, um, and you know, I still had lots of time, so I just, I just found I was bored, and I was just, you know. One feature after another, I thought I'd add this thing and then I'd add that thing, and I, it wouldn't be cool if you had fuel, and then that'd be sweet. You could run out of fuel. Oh, now we need bases so you could fly between bases, and it, it literally just kind of grew. I didn't really set out to build a game, but it was just a little hobby project, and it reached a point where I was like, you know, this is a game, really. Um, uh, I could wrap this up, finish it off, and maybe even sell it. It might not make much money, but, you know, I'll see how it goes. Um, and, yeah, here we are now, uh, after I'd you know, I was still working while I was doing this. I got a, you know, I got a new contract, contract, couple of different contract positions while I was, I was doing this in my spare time. But it became fairly obsessive once I kind of knew it was sellable. Um, I was working a day job. Uh, I had a new baby arrive. Uh, 2011 was a pretty insane year for me. I think I had like four or five hours sleep a night um, during that year, and uh, I released the game on Desura. It's like an indie. Um, the uh, client 
uh, in about, I think it was like January 2012, and a few months later, I managed to get uh, get it published on Steam. Um, so since then, you know, the money that the Steam was critical in, in me supporting the game since then, because it, 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 the income I made off that was far far outweighed anything I was making off the Sura. And uh, I just um, it was a hard sell because it's such a niche kind of game, but there was definitely an audience there for it, and I was still having fun with it. You know, I spent crazy amounts of hours, and I've noticed there are. It has leaderboards, and I've, I can kind of tell from that, you know, looking at the numbers, it tracks, you know, how much fuel, how many times people crash, how much fuel they've consumed, how much money they've gotten, all those sorts of things, and it has an XP. So I can kind of gather, based on how much experience people have gathered, how much time they've put into it, and there are people that have reached the highest rank. There's probably over 10 people that have reached the highest rank, um, which requires over 100 hours at least of playtime. So, you know, that tells me that um, the game resonates with some people very strongly. Uh, so since then, yeah, I've been just trying to enhance and polish the game. It's, like you said before, it's it's um it's my baby, really. It's something I care a lot about, and you know, I, I have my frustrations, like a lot of people do, with how publishers handle their products. They kind of ship them out the door, maybe patch them once or twice, and they forget about them. Um, and I think that's a real shame in a lot of cases. So you know, for me, I really care about the quality of the product. If there are any bugs or issues, I jump on them instantly. If people come to the forum with a problem, I try to answer every single you know, issue that people have. Uh, so generally, I think um, that's worked because of, there's not really any negativity in my little small community that is there. Occasionally, I'll get some disgruntled people and then, you know, after supporting them, um, they kind of turn around and change their attitude. So, uh, so yeah, and then, uh, so I released, um, uh, I added the direct input support I was talking to, to you before about, and that allowed people to use, you know, any numerous number of uh, controller setups. So those you know, hands-on throttle, hands-off, throttle and stick set up so you got pedals and a throttle and a joystick and you can you can configure it for those things and i added multiplayer added a mars update which added new dynamics to it so there's a, a weather system um different gravity um and i actually uh motivation for that was when uh, curiosity landed on mars there was a lot of you know a lot of uh a lot of people talking about Mars and a lot of stuff in the media about curiosity. So I thought that was a good kind of marketing opportunity to try and uh, raise awareness of the game again. Um, and finally, the Oculus Rift support. You know, what kind of uh, motivated me to do that was, um, I think it was Heli Hells, one of the first early demos someone made. It was a little helicopter demo. You could fly around an island. There was a battleship and stuff. Yeah. And when I first tried that, once I got my, my Rift, um, yeah, I never really fully intended to do it. I was just saw the riff like a lot of games, like oh, cool, virtual reality. You know, I want to, I, I want to try that. Um, and uh, but when I tried Heli Hell, I was like, wow, you know, I, I, I've got to put this in my game. <laughs> my game is the flying game, and you know, um, but I never really didn't really know how it was going to turn out. I hadn't built the cockpit or any of those things at that stage. So, but much like the rest of the game's development, once I kind of got into, it, I was kind of hooked. You know, it was like. One thing led to another. I, I don't really sit down and work out a full feature set. I just kind of, I play the game a lot and it, it tells me what the game needs from lots of play, you know, like I need th this thing needs to be there or I need this feature. To, to, so it's, it's um, you know, it's kind of a form from function uh, kind of development process. Wow. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I really admire your work ethic and the way you, you're running your business. I, I was ch checking out the forums and stuff and I was... Uh, looking at how you're interacting with your fans and your and your customers, that's really that's really cool. More developers should be like you, man. That's really cool. Um, and then my next question goes into the Rift. When you 
what was it about the rift that you made it like a business a business decision hey i'm gonna make this game compatible for this device what what was it about this this device that you realized like all right this has future um well, like I said, when I tried Heli Hell, you know, I think for anybody who's tried the Rift and had a good experience with it, mm -hmm. they've tried a good demo, they tried it on hardware that's fast enough to give you a, a good frame rate, um, and it's V-Synced, it's very important to get all those kind of things to come together yeah. um, to have the best experience with it. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me, it was such a profound thing that I was like, yeah, this, 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 is, this is something that's going to happen, you know. Um, and... Uh, when you see a lot of those, you know, big industry luminaries like, um, particularly in the Oculus Rift's pitch video for their Kickstarter, you know, they had a lot of big names in there backing this thing. And when you got people like that saying, "Yeah, this is going to be a big deal. Um, this is something you should pay attention to," then I'm generally going to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in the industry a long time, and uh, you, know, you kind of know who who you should and shouldn't listen to, and those people don't speak unless they've got something to say. And now that Carmack has joined the company, I mean, that, that, that pretty much says everything about, you know, I, um, I tend to think he's, he's a man who, who, who thinks very contemplatively about any kind of decision he makes or anything he wants to be involved in. And if, if he believes in it so much, then, you know, I feel fairly confident that it's, it's something that I should, um, I should be involved in. And like I said, I've been in the games industry a long time. For me, this is exciting because it's something new, you know, it's, um, you know, I've been there and done it in all sorts of genres of games and, um, this is something fun, and, and it's kind of reignited my my flame again to to, to be into games. So, um, and uh, like I said, when when I started uh, developing it for Lunar Flight, um, you know, I think I think the impression most people get when they play Lunar Flight is the same kind of feeling I get when I play it. It's like that. Um, it's it's like that because I I felt the same thing. You know, it's like wow, this is awesome, and you know, I just wanted to keep making it better and better. Uh, so yeah, you know, it, it whenever I encountered an issue, um, I wanted to try and really work around the, the dev kit's constraints. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if there was something like text is not readable, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time working out what what could I do to improve that. So it's it's very optimized specifically for uh, the dev kit in particular. Um, I did have concerns that it, it it might not upscale very well to a higher resolution, like things might be too chunky mm -hmm. or too large in size. But um, I've tried the I tried it on the HD prototype uh, at PAX Australia. Um, Oculus was there, and they gave me um, uh, an exclusive little uh, few moments in the morning before they opened their doors to come in and give them a demo of the game. Nice. Um, and tried on on the HD kit, and it was awesome. It was like you know, even without the position tracking, even just you know, with that resolution increase, um, uh, you know, you could you could see further. Uh, all the textures were much. Uh, clearer. There was less swimming in the textures and all those sorts of things. So, and it looked fine. Like the text was even more legible because you know um, there's less aliasing and all those sorts of problems. So, um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time um, just tweaking the spacing and the scaling and the placement of objects, uh, trying to find solutions to improve them. So one of the things I did um, was uh, the the little uh, menus that pop up in front of you in the cockpit, they're actually on a curved mesh. And this is not an exact science. I actually do this for the main menu when you start the game and it pops up to select your profile and those sorts of things. But what I kind of figured was, you know, the, the ideal thing for that space is a spherical kind of um, mapping of, of things that are facing towards you. So 
by doing that, um, uh, it actually reduces some of the aliasing because you're turning things, things that are directly in front of you look fine, but as you turn to your right, if you have a flat plane, it kind of trails off and then it gets further away and the perspective is, is aimed away from you. But if you, you turn it in a little bit, um, you, you kind of maintain that accuracy. So I feel that it actually, uh, actually reduces some of the aliasing in the fonts and makes it more legible. And if you, there's a video I released not so long ago where I, I introduced myself and there's a little short clip of, of it rotating around the cockpit showing, showing that and you can see the meshes there and how curved they actually are. But in the game, they don't look very curved. Um, because of the perspective and the angle. Uh, so I, I thought that was kind of a, um, an interesting approach to try and solve that thing. But it kind of made sense to project things onto a, a curved surface. Hmm. Um, but I think there might be some real science behind that somewhere. I don't know what it is, but there's probably some math behind the ratio between the distance of, of the, you know, the, the viewer's um, viewpoint and how far away that is and how big objects are and um, you know the, 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 the size of it can be relative to the scale of whatever it is you're rendering, but that's limited by your pixel resolution. So um, I think there's some interesting research to be done there, just uh, on um, you know creating user interfaces and how you um, render information. Definitely. Let me let me ask you about the learning curve. How has been uh, the learning curve from developing for for regular flat screens to to virtual reality? Has it has it been a very uh, noticeable shift? Not really, you know. It's it's really straightforward, and uh, in a lot of ways, that a lot of the things that you would um, do as tricks in, in traditional game development, um, you kind of you, you have to build things like they are in reality because um, you know you can't hide things because particularly when we get uh, the, tra the the positional tracking, people are going to be able to move around a little bit more. Well, at least for things that are in cockpits, are going to be somewhat problematic for me. Um, because you know, I I can't constrain the person, and if I do constrain them, then they're going to feel weird when the, you know it stops moving, but they're still moving. So how how do you deal with that kind of issue? Mm. Uh, and and in lunar flight, you're in this big bulky spacesuit, so you really shouldn't be moving far. So I, I think what I'm going to do there is I'll just um, I'll allow you to move around, and it it will probably just um, let you move beyond the constraints of that, and you may see some weirdness, like it might the camera might move. This is just detach from the, the location of the suit. The suit mm -hmm. will stop moving, but it'll still let your head move around. Sure. Uh, that way, so you don't kind of get disoriented by your head tracking. But yeah, um, yeah there's just some visual issues there that um, might cause problems. But you know, and originally I uh, I was I modeled the parts of the cockpit and I removed some of the faces on them because I knew you know you couldn't see them. But then I realized, well, yeah, you know, later if you can shift around the cockpit, you are going to be able to see those surfaces. So I actually need to put them back in there. So those are the sorts of things you would do in, in traditional game development. You would remove surfaces from things you know the player can never get to, but once you're in virtual reality, it's highly likely the player can get into situations where you can see things you wouldn't normally be able to see. Um, some other issues like um, some rendering effects that require that are based on uh, you know the projection of a camera. When you've got two cameras and they have to combine the shader effect into one because they're rendered uh, and yeah. I'd, I'm not sure how to solve some of the pro those issues. Uh, I um, and yeah, my, my level of experience in development. I'm, I was I spent ten years as a as a designer, a technical designer more so than a programmer. Huh. Uh, I did study I studied programming before I started my first game game development job, and that was uh, my first job was as a level designer, not a programmer. So, um, but like I said, when I started on Lunar Flight, uh, I had to kind of 
dig all that stuff back out of the back back recesses of my my brain where it had been sitting there for a long time and not really touched and was a bit foggy. Uh, so it all could slowly come back to me. I'm a better programmer now than I was when I first started Leonard Fly. Uh, but you know, I have a kind of cross, fairly cross discipline level of experience. You know, I can use 3ds Max, I can use Photoshop. Um, I have a fairly thorough understanding of design principles and methodology uh, in game development. So um, yeah. Wow. Master, uh, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Master of none. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that's still pretty awesome, man. That you're um, you're you're a Swiss Army knife of game development. That's pretty cool. Uh, it, and it's definitely better than definitely better than me. Most people. Uh, so so has been has there been a lesson in there that you know is in developing for the Rift that you've sort of caught you by surprise that you weren't expecting. Um. um not not so much that caught me. Like I said, it's it, it's really 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 intuitive when you think about what it actually is. It mm -hmm. literally is just a pair of eyes in a three D space. Um, and the, the the biggest challenges are solving the interaction issues, right? Yeah. Like how do you how do you let people interact in this space when they can't see their hands? Um, and that's why I made the conscious decision uh, to actually put a, a model of a 360 controller because I, I kind of wanted to make that the default way of playing the game. You know, that's if you're going to play this game, please play it with an Xbox controller because that's the way it's designed. Uh, that's what it's intended for. But when you're sitting in a seat and you're holding an Xbox controller, the, there's this one-to-one -one relationship with what you're feeling and you're seeing. And I think that is, um, that's one uh, extra thing that helps reduce nausea and, and your brain's... Um, um, Ability to accept what's going on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people talk about Lunar Flight being a low nausea or almost no nausea experience. They can play the game for hours and not really experience any nausea. And uh, I think uh, the reason for that, um, largely cockpit-based games, um, you know, you've got a strong frame of reference. You've got this big static object that fills a large part of your field of view and it doesn't move. Um, and you're seated in a seat and you, you know, your brain sees those, all those things. And for all intents and purposes, what's happening out the screen could just be a TV in front of you, you know. So, um, but I think once we increase the resolution, your depth perception increases. So um, you might be able to, um, you know, your level of depth perception and um, stereo ability to, to perceive the, the depth and the, th the 3D and the stereoscopic nature of it um, will increase. So it'd be interesting to see if increasing the resolution might mm -hmm. actually make it feel even more immersive and. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I'm hitting the right target with what I'm what I'm trying to say, but you know what I mean. Like if you, you if if it feels like it's just a screen in front of you that's moving, yeah. you're less likely to feel sick. Whereas if you're playing a first-person shooter, like if you get out of the lunar module and start walking around, um, you're probably likely going to experience some nausea because I know I do. I I, I put it in there because it's kind of nice to get out and walk around it and uh, look at the base and the buildings and things and get a sense of the scale of it all. Uh, on that issue of scale, actually, when I when I built Lunar Flight, this is a kind of funny story. <clears throat> I um, it's a simulation, right? So it, it should be built to scale. Yeah. And when I first started playing with Unity, I had a lot of trouble, and a lot of other people had a lot of trouble with this. Was importing models from a, a 3D package into Unity oh. isn't that straightforward because different packages use different di different coordinate systems. So whether Z is up or Y is up, oh. obviously your model comes in rotated on a different angle and um, yeah, you know, you're using different unit scales, whether it's you know one meter or one centimeter per unit, those sorts of things. Unity is one meter per unit, and ensuring that things come in <coughs> correctly <coughs> is critical. 
And for all this time, I thought lunar flight was, you know, it was built to scale. And the thing that revealed this was wrong was that the default um, prefab that you get from from the Oculus SDK for Unity, mm -hmm. um, it's it's pretty much set up to be a, a correct scale human with the correct 64 millimeter eye separation. Huh. I, I dropped the, the their player controller into my scene, and uh, you know it looked like I was standing next to this little model of a lunar module, and I was like, what what's going on here? This this is this is just not right, and. Uh, I soon it soon dawned on me what was wrong, and I went and checked the import settings in in, in Unity, and it was 0.3, not one. Oh wow! It was only 30% of the scale that it should be, <laughs> and I was like, oh no, this is this is not something I want to know. You know, like a, just keep keep that in the closet and shut the door. Um, but uh, I found a I found a solution for it. Um, yeah, ultimately, like Lunaflight is is fairly accurate in its physics representation, but my approach to it is actually more of a, a feel of what people perceive things should feel like on the moon, like low low gravity, low kind of floaty. All the all the things behave correctly. There's no friction. You know, uh, all the inertia and stuff is there. But um, uh, so anyway, uh, what I worked out I could do is um, actually this revealed something about the rift and a, a common misconception that a lot I think a lot of people have yeah. with what change adjusting the IPD mm -hmm. in in a rift title does, and this, the Oculus SDK, um, all it does when you change the IPDs changes it changes the separation of the cameras, how far apart they are. Sure. And what this does is it changes your perception of scale, how object how large objects feel. So you can imagine if um, you were really big, mm -hmm. your eyes would be much further apart, and objects would look much smaller to you. Mm -hmm. But if you're really, really small, your eyes are really, really close and objects appear really, really large. And you can replicate this in the game. You can put a slider there. You could probably use this as an effect mm -hmm. um, where, you know, like Alice in Wonderland, you eat a mushroom or something, you get really, really small. All you would need to do is adjust the IPD and reduce the distance between the cameras. It would not, it, and a lot of people think this affects their, uh, the, the quality of the image quality or how blurry the image is, but it doesn't affect any of those things. It only affects your perception of scale. The reason it might influence your your uh, perception to nausea and those sorts of things is what you want to do is um, get as close to what your real world um, IPD is and your height so that things appear as they do to you in real life so your brain feels more at ease with what it's seeing yeah. if that makes sense. So um, so what I realised I could do was all I had to do was multiply the uh, IPD by that import scale that import factor. So um, as soon as I did that, um, it's suddenly I multiplied by 0.3, and suddenly everything looked the right scale again. Nice, very nice. You know, <laughs> it was simple as that. I need to ask you about your uh, a little bit about the future, and and, and and lunar flight is probably the 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 most functional, most complete, ready to go game for the Rift when it gets released, and and I think uh, when the Rift gets released. But looking forward and seeing what in you personally as a developer, like what do you, what what is the best case scenario? What is the worst case scenario that could happen for for your for Lunar Flight and and the Rift in general when when this thing gets launched? Are you expecting for there to be a an app store or are you hoping that there's going to be an Oculus solution for software uh, for a software ecosystem? What are you? I think I think I didn't really answer your question before. I think you asked yeah. me about what uh, I was developing for the Rift. Yeah. Uh, what gamble on it really is that um, 
you know, like I said before, I, I, I believe this thing's going to happen. I think uh, it's such a compelling experience that it, it, it's definitely going to happen. And there's such a big swell of interest mm-hmm. in it um, that, you know, pretty much everyone has bought a dev kit. It's probably going to go and buy a consumer kit as well. Um, and probably, a lot of those people probably already own a, a, um, a copy of Lunafly. But I... <laughs> I have this kind of feeling that, um, it, you know, best case for me is the Rift, the consumer kit comes out and, you know, they sell a couple of hundred thousand units. Um, that's good numbers for me uh, in, in that if there aren't too many titles out and there isn't much to buy for it, um, then pretty much good chance every one of those persons is probably going to pick up my game. Um, and that would be great because that would actually exceed the sales that I've already done on the game. The game has sold about 70,000 units. If I, another hundred thousand people bought the game, that would be really awesome. That would that would set me up to you know really. I'd actually what I want to do moving on is actually build, get get some more people involved and, and have a larger team. Yeah. But um, so that would be best case for me. It comes out um, and it's still fairly cost effective. It's around three to four hundred dollars, and there's a lot of people that are sitting on the fence waiting to buy one, but waiting to see what the consumer kit is like. Mm-hmm. I think there is a potential that they'll, they will sell a couple hundred thousand units pretty quickly in the first three to six months, maybe more, who knows. Um, and uh, worst case is that there aren't many titles. And if you don't have software, like any device, if you don't really have any killer apps, then um, people might buy one and then it'll sit on the shelf and it won't get much use. In six months' time, no one's talking about it, and it kind of dies with us away. Hmm. Um, I, I kind of don't think that's going to happen. I think that the biggest, probably the biggest problem is hardware performance. Like if you're going to have games, even Lunar Flight, you know, I have a, a 6970 Crossfire uh, system. So two, two GPUs, 6970s, are they two generations old now, but it, it's still, you know, it's still fairly powerful in Crossfire. And even it can't run Lunar Flight at 1920 by 1200 oh. with everything maxed out um, and sustained 60 frames per second. Um, I can if I drop drop the pixel lighting to vertex and set the shadows to medium. They're probably the most expensive things. Um, and then my machine will hold 60. Uh, and uh, so, but you know, I, like I said before, I'm, I, I'm in, in some respects an amateur when I build an entire game by myself. So I definitely think I could have optimized Lunafly a lot more. And a company that has the resources to, you know, build level of detail meshes for every object and, you know, a whole engineering team to work on optimizing the code base and things like that could build something really fast. And I think uh, just recently um, I did a little experiment with one of Unity's projects called Angry Bots Mm -hmm. and I added a a third-person perspective mode to it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to try with things that aren't just first-person perspectives. I think... The Rift is a great 3D viewer. You know, it could be used for things just as a 3D device, Definitely. viewing things in 3D. And um, I wanted to try that. So, and that particular project was optimized for a mobile platform. So everything is a light mapped, and um, everything, all the textures are packed really tightly, so that it's really, really optimized, and it runs really, really fast. Wow. So I think there's a potential there to build games. You know, they're not photorealistic, but as long as they're running super fast and they're fun, I don't think that really matters. I think that's what Oculus are talking about when they're talking about. You know, building an Android platform into the headset with a GPU and everything on it and having it self-contained is that you could build fairly compelling experiences um, that don't have to be super high detail with, you know, really complex shaders and all that sort of stuff um, and still have a really great experience that runs really, really fast. Uh, so and getting back to that point of, of, of software, 
who knows what is in the works, like who, what Oculus has funded themselves. Like they probably realise they need a killer app. They probably need to put some money into some developer to encourage them to do it. Um, or, you know, go to a publisher and say, we will put some money into something if you allocate some resources to this. I don't know. Maybe they've tried doing that. Um, but, and, you know, you've got uh, EVE VR. It's probably the only title where they've committed to VR. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear about other games like... Um, you know, Star Citizen is doing one of them. Star Citizen doing it. But, you know, I'm still waiting to see how they deal with their user interface. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of these, and even with EVR, they, they, I don't think that those games aren't, aren't Oculus Rift games per se. They're games that have Oculus Rift support. So um, unless they've they've rebuilt an entire new UI system for the Rift or they've found some way to make the, the standard UI work with the, the Rift, I think there's a problem there where these games are going to have support, but they still won't be built for the Rift, if you know what I mean. Like they're not, mm-hmm. like Lunar Flight is, it was, Everything in terms of its design in the Oculus build was built to work within the constraints of, of VR. Whereas these games, and you know, I had that kind of luxury. It's just me, and I can take that risk. But these companies have to make a game where they've got a twenty-man team, which is like EVR, mm-hmm. and they're spending millions of dollars, and they're taking a gamble on this. Um, they want to be able to sell this game to people who don't have a Rift as well. Um, so they have to make a compromise there, or they're going to build two interfaces, one that works with the Rift and one that doesn't. That's not entirely impossible. You know, you can do that. So, I mean, Lunar Flight is an example of that. If you don't have a Rift, you can play Lunar Flight without the Oculus Rift. Um, so do you think that gives you an advantage, the fact that, one, VR, ga- games designed from the ground up uh, for VR will feel better? So the first assumption is... Yes, v- games designed for VR will, will feel better than games ported to VR. And the second assumption is, because of that, developers and big publishers aren't willing to take the risk going forward because they want to create good quality games that will not only port good for the Oculus, but also for other platforms because they want to make money. And so because of that, they won't be competing against you in the beginning. I mean, that's two yeah. fairly big assumptions. That, that, yeah, that's exactly what I'm hoping. Yeah. I don't really have to, it's a hard thing for me to hope because I want there to be a lot of games for the Rift, right? Definitely. I want there to be titles because I want to play them. But um, that that's my uh, my strategy really is my guess, best guess is that the, the, the big guys with the lots of money and the, the big AAA produced titles, um, you're not going to see them at launch that are you know really, really, really refined and really built as a VR experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be some that come out with support for it but they'll be kind of you know, hybrid solutions, and they'll probably have compromises in some some places. Um, but I, you know, I'm a believer that that um, you know, within within six months of the consumer kit release, there's going to be some really amazing, compelling things happening. And there's probably, like I said, there's there's probably stuff being developed that we don't know about. There's probably stuff, you know, Oculus always talk about stuff that they know of that they haven't announced and there's some really exciting things happening. Mm. Um, and that might just be PR talk or it might actually be the case. Um, certainly Valve is doing a lot of work, you know, and there's another example. Valve believes in this thing. They're spending money and resources on working on this and solving these things because they know and anyone that's experienced becomes, they go from being a skeptic to being a believer because they, <laughs> and, and knowing myself now when I play games, any game, and I play a lot of games. Um, it just it just feels so weird playing stuff on a screen now because you're not in it. It feels like you're looking at a screen and you, 
it, there's something about that. It's like it's ruined it for you. You yeah. know, like you, welcome you know, to you the want club. Now is to to experience those things, um, you know, encompassing your vision. So uh, yeah. that's why I believe, believe. But once once this thing gets traction and and the, the experience is much more polished and they solve a lot of the nausea issues and resolution issues. Um, uh, it, it's going to happen. I still, I'm still wondering how they're going to deal with, um, the, um, the peripheral support. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, like I said, I, I make, uh, the Xbox controller pretty much a, a requirement to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everybody owns an Xbox controller and certainly not everybody owns a Hydra mm-hmm. or a similar device. That is a really that's a niche market within a niche market, you know. So yes. um, I I kind of refuse to support those things because no one's going to own them. I can't sell a game that has been built to for those devices uh, and expect a lot of people to be able to buy the game because it just is such a small market. Yeah, and so, such a it's such a smart choice because Razer Hydras have been really really hard to acquire nowadays. Like you you, you yeah, and they're it's getting... not that I'm against them. You know, I think they're great. Yeah. Now, I, I'm a big fan of devices. You know, I've got. Yeah. I've got a big expensive steering wheel and a, and a, a hands-on throttle system and pedals. Yes. You know, I buy that stuff, but I know myself, I'm, I'm, I want to make stuff that as many people as possible can buy and play. And I'm worried about those things being pretty much necessities. You know, you can, there's only so much you can do with the head tracker as an input device, like um, Proton Pulses, and I think that was a really great example. You know, that was probably another game that really inspired me when I first saw that. I thought, wow, here's a, someone thinking out of the box, you know, using the head tracker as an input device. Um, and um, there's only so many games that are going to be able to use it, I think. Um, but, you know, like like uh, like the mobile industry and, and touch devices, we've seen an amazing amount of new innovation spawned out of touch input and, and ideas come Definitely. out of that. So who knows what we're going to have. In your personal but, view, in, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. In your personal view, what is the input device of the future? What do you think is is, 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 is meant to be for VR? Like, you know, it, we might not have it yet, but but in your mind, it, it, it's the one. The number one thing they need is hand tracking. Yeah. You know, you know um, gloves. A cheap and affordable gloves. Two pairs of gloves you can put on, um, really low latency, when you look down, you just see those hands there, and you can wiggle your fingers, and they just wiggle, you know. And then now you can just reach out um, and touch things. You need haptic support, right? You need feedback. So if you're going to press a button, it's going to feel a bit weird seeing it animate and touch, but not actually get any response back mm-hmm. into your finger. So there's some things, but those things are expensive. But if there's a market there, you know, it's a kind of a chicken and egg thing. You know, yeah. you can't. I actually looked in a company that makes uh, a company called Animazoo, I think they're called, and they make these these gloves. For, anima- for the animation industry, but they're really expensive. They're like sixteen thousand dollars a glove per glove, um, and but they do full full motion tracking. Um, but that they're so expensive because they're, they're handmade and you know they don't sell a lot of them. But if uh, you had an industry, we could sell a million of those things. I'm sure the price would come down dramatically. Definitely. Uh, and uh, but you know all these things have to come together. But I think it's it, I think it's going to happen. You know, there's just slow steps towards that. Once you have a market there. And a lot of people have the device. Then you can build a peripheral, like you know, who would have thought plastic guitars would sell in their millions? <laughs> the last console generation, yeah. right? Or even the previous one, Guitar Hero craze, and everyone went out and bought you know these plastic guitars and maybe more than one, or you know, rock band and those sorts, sorts of things. So you need to have that that hardware install base before you can sell peripherals like that. Yeah. So yeah, but I think it's going to happen. You know, like yeah. I said before, it's, it's such a profound thing that. That once you've experienced it, you want to experience more things like that. Um, myself, I'm not sure what, what I'm going to do next. I, I've been thinking about 
making some smaller scale projects that are kind of like what you would get on the on the uh, mob, you know, on mobile devices, where um, like an endless runner or um, these things that are they're, they're small enough in scope that a, a small team can build, make it really really polished, but again built for the for the for VR. You know, it's a really specific experience. So something people can try on, have fun with it. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people out there that want a really immersive VR experience. They want to play Skyrim in VR. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't think you're going to get that early, you know, in the early stages. Unless Bethesda comes around and, and says, you know what, um, their, their UI system is fully configurable. They could add some, add, you know, allocate a few resources to um, you know, adding native support to Skyrim. Um, and solve all those issues with their shadows and things like that. You know, like yeah, um, I'm willing to pay for Skyrim full price, full price if they went out and said, yeah, we're gonna re-release this for VR. Like I would because I'm that, I'm yeah, you know, I'm 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 one of those people that I would you know immediately just because yeah. it's just Skyrim and VR. Holy and moly! I don't, I don't think that's out of the question. Now, when you look yeah. at um, yeah, if if liquid consumer come kid comes out and it is a big hit yeah. and there's a lot of people wanting to try it and then, you know the guys at Bethesda I'm sure they've tried the ref themselves and I'm sure they've contemplated it you know like mm -hmm. wouldn't it be great if you could do this but those big companies just can't move like that you know it's very mm -hmm. often not well companies like Valve can because Valve you know they, they're very different from yeah. other companies they're they, the exception they have guys that just build stuff and they just give them money and they go away and build stuff and they trust that they're going to try and do something cool if they don't do something cool they probably get let go eventually but yeah. Companies like Bethesda publishers, they don't kind of operate that way. They don't yeah. really have R&D teams that just go away and try and make stuff. They have their budget and they have to deliver on stuff and they have to make money. So um, so that's uh, an interesting point you bring up because I think uh, – I think because if, if – if, what would happen if they realize six months into the rift, holy moly, you know, Lunar Flight is making a lot of money. And we can get in there now and and tell a couple of engineers, uh, developers, hey, work on this, you know, for a month, make Skyrim fully compatible for the Rift. Does that, you know, the for them the ability for them to turn around, uh, does that worry you or or does that excite you? What is that? What? You know, it doesn't really worry me at all. Like, yeah, you know, you're never going to be able to compete with with a multi-million dollar budget, really. Yeah. as an indie. But you know the, the advantage Indies have is they can just they can take risks and eat noodles every day and and just try things that the publishers just will not touch. Um, so um, you always have that kind of you know you can be a rebel and be out in the wild west and try things that they won't. Uh, but for them to for them to seriously consider it, like they've sold they've made so much money off Skyrim now, for them it'd be like you know a few peanuts to, to yeah. go back and add that. And the only way any reason they may do it is go you know we we want to do some R and D on this. Or and that because we might build an, a, a VR title in the future. We already have a project that could be su supported. And this is what Valve did, uh, Valve did with, with Half Life, right? Like they go, we've got an old game. Um, it's a good ta it's a good test case because you know Half Life Two is quite old. Uh, and you're back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Half Life Two is. Half Life Two is um. And it's fairly optimized, so um, sure. and it's fairly old now. So most people's machines can run it fairly fast, uh, and you know I think that's why uh, Valve used that rather than trying to build a new game. They just took something they already had and, yeah. and work out how to to add VR to it. Bethesda may do the same thing. They go, like, we need to do some experiments. We've already got a game. It's not that difficult to add VR yeah. to drop the cameras in and integrate them. So and then they have to just solve some of the issues. 
then they have to look at the scope of work they would have to do to fix all those things. Like, do they have cinematics that uh, control the camera? You know, all those sorts of things. And sometimes that happens in Skyrim. You know, the camera turns to look at something. Um, and you never want to do that in VR. Those, those are the, some of the things I've learned is that you never want to take control of the camera away from the person's head because that makes them feel ill. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there's a case where if you're going to build a game for VR, that has to be a constraint. You, ha- you have to work with that constraint. You have to always dip to black whenever you're going to cut the scene. So I do that in Lunar Flight. Whenever there's a change in scene, um, except during your loading screen, you get a 3D loading screen. Uh, and right just before it finishes loading, it stalls. Um, that's not always pleasant, but um, usually I try to make sure it fades to black whenever I change the scene and then fades in so you never get disoriented. Um, so Yeah, you're, that actually that works. That really works. The fading to black, it, I actually... Yeah, I'm surprised how well that works. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's a very very simple solution, but it's critical because if, if you suddenly snap to a different scene... It, it, it's you know it's not pleasant so oh, yeah um, but it's, it's it's a basic thing to do I think you know good thing with Half Life uh, two is that I don't from memory I don't think it does ever draw the camera's viewpoint and every everything all the cutscenes all the characters are all done in first person right so mm-hmm. it's a it's a great game I think they're only people, the only thing I've heard people criticise really is the loading screens like you reach the end of a level and suddenly it just hangs oh. while it loads the next section in. Um, I think now, you know, people, there's, computers have a lot more memory, so they probably could go back and, like, uh, you know, join a bunch of levels more tightly together and load them all at once and reduce some of that or change the triggering system so when you hit the end, it fades down before it actually uh, loads the level. Huh. You uh, know, I have a quick question. In terms of, uh, again, looking towards the future, you know, two years from now, the people people like you who've, who've jumped into VR from the, from the get-go, like... Will will we see two types of developer come out because you know VR is gonna get so fleshed out and you know and and, the, and I think the the book is barely you know even being written or there is no book for how to write or how to do VR properly. So in two years, do you think we'll have two sets of developers, a VR developer and a regular you know flat a flat screen sort of developer, or or, or will they be just you know, interchangeable parts of the same thing. What do you think? Well, yeah, you'll always have specialized skills. Um, if you want to be an expert at anything, you, you generally need to specialize, um, assuming the scope of knowledge you can learn about that particular thing is, is large enough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, augmented reality is an entirely kind of different thing altogether. It has different problems and things you need to solve. And spending a lot of time thinking and solving those things um, Generally, I, I think what tends to happen, though, is uh, like today now we have middleware and we have you know, all of the, the problems and, and solutions to things that we've sold over the last 10, 20 years in gaming. It's so cheap and affordable for anyone to go and get now. You know, a lot of the solutions to how you handle him, input or character movement and all those sorts of things used to be like you know, innovations and ideas and new things that people came up with. Now it's like yeah, whatever. You know, a, a game has to have a billion number of features that we've all seen before. Before, before it's even considered to be a good game. Mm. Um, I mean, if you're in a particular genre of game, you have to have X, Y, and Z before you know you can start pushing the boundaries. Um, so I think the same sort of thing will eventually happen in those different aspects. You know, in augmented reality, over time, certain developers will show demonstrate showcases for how to do certain things, and everybody will copy what they're doing. Um, 
unless they can paint these things, you know. Yeah. Um, the games industry has proven that it's very difficult to paint and those sorts of things, you know, you know, user interface design and all those sorts of things. Generally, we, we try, we don't like it because we all kind of borrow it from each other and it allows our industry to grow, really. Yeah. Um, there are lots of first-person shooters, you know, there are lots of top-down strategy games. They all use mouse rectangle selection to select units and things like that, you know. Um, and the, the same case will be for VR and, and augmented reality. There'll be certain ways that we know, certain solutions that we know that work, and uh, everybody will kind of imitate those solutions. Um, nice. Yeah, that's that's a really good explanation. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're right. Huh. So, so is there going to be a Lunar Flight 2? Is, is that too much to add? Like, is there... You, are you definitely thinking about uh, working on this further along in the future or, or you know what actually let's go back to Android and mobile because that's if there if there's money to be put on, on, on the table do you think Android and mobile VR will will take off will there be a market for this um, I think it'll be a different device you know I think that there's always going to be um, well it, it depends on how yeah, the, the the subsequent versions of the headset or what uh, Oculus build or any other company builds, um, you know, whether you can plug it into, and I think they actually already said this, they said, you know, even if we build an Android device into the headset, you'll still be able to plug it into a PC and use it as you would traditionally use it. Um, I think it's something you asked about earlier is that whether there would be an app store. I definitely think there will be an app store at some point. I think Oculus Share, the, the official Oculus Share uh, mm -hmm. site, is the foundations for what Oculus App Store will eventually be. You'll be able to buy games. All the indie developers will be able to sell VR games through there, and that'll be your one-stop portal to find uh, content yeah. for the Rift. It kind of already is, you know, um, stuff that's been kind of verified and, and uh, quality checked, I guess. Um, much like, you know, any other app store. Um, and I think, you know, eventually there'll also be a, a client like Steam or something like that um, where you, you um, when you go to use your Rift, you fire the, the client up and that's kind of the starting point of accessing all your content. And there are already some indies developing solutions like this, right? Like there's little app launches and things like that and you'll launch them from within VR. So you launch a game and you exit and you exit back into the uh, launcher. Um, I do believe that's, that's something that they have on the cards. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think it, at some point, I think they'll they'll wait until the the hardware is there for that kind of integrated solution because it, it's kind of there now, and you probably could build something, but it's probably not at a um, performance level where you can build something quite um, quite what the consumers would want in terms of graphical fidelity. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's coming, you know, like in another year or two. Um, yeah, we're going to be X, X points beyond where we are now in terms of performance in, in mobile devices. And, you know, it's believed if we keep going the way we're going, um, it's believed that we'll... Do you know who Ray Kurzweil is? Yeah, the singularity guy. <laughs> well, he, he believes that, you know, the performance of things is, is, is growing at an exponential rate. It's not just this kind of linear increase in performance. Um, you know, things are going to get faster and faster and get faster at getting faster, if you know <laughs> what I mean. So, um, you know, five years from now, it's, you know, if, if that's true, then there's going to be some pretty powerful hardware around. Um, and, you know, and that's what, definitely what we need to reach that kind of um, ideal point that uh, um, kind of think of the, the Valve engineers, um, 
name, but he he, he was saying that uh, you know you got to reach around an 8K resolution to eliminate pixels altogether, wow. and at that resolution, you know, it, um, the hardware performance you need to render a game is just crazy, right? Like, yeah. You would you would you would need a quad SLI machine right now to even render at 60 frames, just a single single camera at wow. that kind of resolution, you know. So we're a long way from hitting that uh, wow. kind of performance, I but it'll happen. You know? Yeah, I feel like uh, where is I, I don't I'm not sure where I got uh, there was someone arguing that uh, the birth of VR will help catapult graphical graphic processors and and just machines in general it'll make it'll 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 incentivize you know graphic cards makers to to you know make more make cards that are more powerful and, and machines that are uh... but you know there's only there's a, there's limits to what engineers can do you know if if that were the case then we'd have you know do do we know whether a company like Nvidia already has their several next generations already designed and built and they're just sitting on them waiting to control the market, you know what I mean? Like mm. they just sit on them and, and release them slowly so they can always have a product to release, to build up, you know, to release after their next product so they can keep the market going along. I don't really think that's the case. I think when you get a new new generation of hardware from them, that's what they've been working up to and they, they may be planning 12 months ahead of what their next, and next designs are and how they're going to improve the hardware but it doesn't exist yet and they've got to build it yet. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think we're kind of, you know, the performance level we're at and, and, and making it cost effective and being able to sell it at a, at a price point that is, is um, acceptable to consumers, mm -hmm. um, that's the case. So, but, you know, I mean, it, it's, um, it definitely will spur, uh, assuming it's, it's a big hit and, you know, VR penetrates not just the gaming industry, but, you know, all sorts of industries in terms of um, relaxation, training, education, all sorts of things. And it makes a huge impact on society, uh, much like mobile devices have um, in its its adoption. Then, yeah, maybe yeah, that will spur a lot more innovation and uh, uh, investment in, in improving the performance and solving these issues. So you bring up a good point because as we speak, do you think we will see a consumer rift that will be HD, or do you think it'll be 4K? I've been seeing articles online where. Um, 4K displays are getting really, really cheap right now because Apple just signed a deal with a factory in China. It's been signing deals with factories in China for their next iPad displays to be yeah. 4K. In any case, what I'm what I'm thinking is, well, well, if if Oculus decides to come out swinging with a 4K display, will they be shooting themselves in the foot because not a lot of people will be able to afford the technology to run those devices, or, or, or what do you think? I don't think that's the case at all. I, okay. I, I think Oculus are really smart, and they're going to be, be very, they're going to be very careful about the panel that they select. I think they're going to accept that there's 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 only you know that performance issue you just mentioned is is very very critical in the success of of it, of, of it of its launch. So you know you want as many people to be able to buy it and uh, run it at its native resolution and get reasonable performance. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely do not believe that they're going to go for the highest end panel that they can get for that okay. thing. But they wouldn't be able to afford to put it in and sell it to you cheaply enough, you know. So um, I think I think that they will probably end up just being – it'll probably be a 1080p display. It'll be whatever's in the HD kit right now because they'll be able to get them cheap. They may be able to get them modified to some spec that they require. Uh, but I don't. I certainly don't believe. I hear a lot of people – it's what people want. And the, and the people who are most loudest about this are the people that have the massive – high-performance PCs and they're really mm -hmm. invested in it, mm -hmm. they're not the market. They're not the target market for this thing at all. So 
No, I don't. I don't. I think they're going to be very careful about the panel selection that they go for. They'll pick one that, that is better than the dev kit. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm not sure if you've used it, but you know, I would be quite happy with with 1080p. I, I've, I've played Lunar Flight in it. For me, that would be acceptable. Yeah. Um, and as long as they solve all the other problems, um, improve all the other things, that's a perfect device. That that's that's great. You know, that yeah. would be just resolution be high enough that most people have gaming machines right now that they could run things at an acceptable frame rate. And then once they've established themselves, you know, then they can go on the next iteration of the hardware. Then they can improve it, you know, because they've established their market. They've already got buy-in by a market. The people that believe in it, they want the next piece of hardware. Definitely. They will buy the next kit, you know. So um, it's, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people are kidding themselves if, if they think that's going to be the case. Even though that they know that that's what's required to improve the experience, they're not going that's not going to happen. Okay, so this is where you and I are, are there's a fork in the road and you and I are going to have to disagree. I'm in fact I'm willing I'm about to bet with you uh San Francisco pizza uh, um, I will ship it I will send it to your house. Um <laughs> I I let's uh, yeah, pizza orgasmica in San Francisco. So I'll send you um a I think it's called uh the Latin lover. Yeah, I'll send you a Latin lover, uh, a large pizza, if if um, if they come out with an HD display instead of a 4K. I think, I really, really think that they're going to come out swinging. Um, as irrational as it sounds, I know I sound completely irrational, but I think the moment people are, because I, I think that's what it's going to take for them to, for them, for, for them to be able to compete against the PS4 and whatever... HMD Sony comes out with an Xbox and maybe hopefully they won't have to compete with Steambox but but that's a possibility we don't know yet I think uh, for them to compete with these huge guys Sorry. I really think they're gonna have to come in and swinging and people are gonna be at Best Buy or Target and you know they're gonna put on that 4K display and they're gonna realize oh my god it's the fucking future I'm going to join it now or See, or I'm not sure if if the resolution is the thing that's important for people to have a great experience, right? Huh. And, and I'm not sure why you think they're competing with the console industry or even the Steam box, because for me, it's a peripheral device. It's not a platform. I, I know they will talk about it as a platform, but it, you know, for a lot of people, they will see it as a VR headset that requires software that other developers are going to develop for it. So, um, you know, again, I, for me, it, it's more. It's two, it's two things. It's the cost for the panel mm-hmm. to, to reduce the cost of selling the headset to, to make it. Um, mass marketable, and the performance requirements requirements to run it at, 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 its, at its native resolution. Um, and you know, there's probably only one percent of the, the industry, the whole games that even have hardware that can come close to that. Mm. Uh, I certainly don't have that, and I don't want to buy a headset that I can't use effectively. So I'd rather one that I can run at its native resolution because usually that is much more optimal. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe you, know, I, you might be right. Maybe uh, they can downscale. You know, they, they don't have to run at its native resolution. You could run things at a lower resolution. Um, but you, know, you introduce artifacts when you downscale. Um, hmm. But who knows, man? <laughs> who knows? At this point, yeah, you're right. I, you know, I'll probably, I'll probably get, have, I'll get your address later so I can send you that pizza because I, I, I already know that your points, <laughs> your logic is flawless. <laughs> um, no, so yeah, it's gonna be very interesting. It really is gonna be very interesting. So philosophically, do you think VR is going to be, um, just a peripheral thing that we use aside from gaming and other forms of entertainment, or do you think? Do you think, in, I mean, we're talking about pie in the sky sort of stuff and just, you know, completely 
you know, speculation. Like, do you think five years, ten years from now, VR will be a medium of information that will replace something, or will be something that, you know, is is a uh, surplus of all the information devices that we already have? It it has it has to supplant an existing thing. Like, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to work in VR. I don't think it's yet. You know, unless somebody comes around with some really innovative tools that. Make the, uh, make developing games for for example, or you know, if I can't see the keyboard, I can't program in VR. You know, there's all these kind of physical constraints with VR. So I don't I, I don't think it's going to become the one and only all encompassing device that people use, and they don't never use anything else. Or you know, they're walking around with VR devices strapped to their head or, or anything like that. But I think just like you know, people have these gaming PCs in their houses and they use them a lot. Um, as long as the experience is compelling enough um, and powerful enough, people are going to want to use it, and that's all that really matters, right? It's like if you're compelled to put that thing on your face and use it because you, you enjoy it so much, you're going to use it, and that's all that, that has to happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think in saying that, uh, much like 3D TVs, people just can't be bothered getting their 3D glasses out when they watch a 3D movie. It's, mm. you know, it's, you know, or if they have you know, a room full of people and there is, there is only two glasses, two pairs of glasses, you know, do you run it in 3D and annoy all those other people? Uh, that, they're just some issues that um, I guess that we're yet to see if they're, they're going to be a real problem. Some people just don't want to wear it on their face. I've, I've tried, had some people try it and they sweat profusely when they put it on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think there may be ways of, of, of solving those issues in terms of its, its, its design. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> no, definitely. What do you think will be the impact of, uh, uh, you know, you've heard that Sony wants to get in the game. What do you think will be the impact of, of VR if, if all of a sudden the consoles are adopting uh, VR type? And you know what? It won't take off next year, definitely, because there's no games, you know, for and even for the PS4. There's not that many games out there yet. Um, but but do you think that it'll it'll affect uh, Oculus and will it affect your bottom line or will you be able to port over to PS4? I um I don't know you know I think the, the new the new consoles are certainly powerful enough to have compelling VR experiences as I mentioned before if you optimize the art enough and the, you know the, the game itself you you could run something on 60 frames per second at 1080p on those devices and have pretty cool looking games but um you know there's been a lot of talk about Sony getting involved and yet we've not really seen anything out of Sony mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people underestimate the the, <clears throat> the research that Oculus has has been doing all this time um, <clears throat> and certainly with having Carmack there doing all these really far out kind of um, programming solutions to solving a lot of, of things that I don't think their engineers would even contemplate and there's a lot of smart people in the world but when you spend a lot of time looking and thinking about these issues um, I think Sony's going to be behind the ball and uh, it would make more sense for Sony to license the Oculus technology and for them to have a relationship and Oculus to take advantage of Sony's engineers or hardware engineers yeah. to build the, you know, the components and drive the cost down than it would for them to compete against each other. So, you know, you, you know that would make more sense to me. Yeah. But I guess they're, they're I guess they... Yeah, I, it's definitely it's definitely something yet to be seen. But uh, it really surprised. Maybe they do have some incredibly smart people, and they've been sitting on some crazy, you know, some crazy technology for mm-hmm. some time. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, in my experience, 
people aren't as, sometimes aren't as smart as you think they are. Certainly, corporations, you know, they, they just make some stupid decisions. Yes. It's, it doesn't make any sense. You wonder why these things happen, and I don't think it's generally because of the people on, at, you know, on the ground who, make, who work on these things are stupid. It's the people at the top that uh, allow certain things to happen that mm-hmm. are stupid. So, you know, they they're they're the people that get in in, in the way of innovation uh, often. So, um, but I think you know, Oculus, Oculus is such a small, agile company. They've got the smarts, the the smartest people I think in the world to be working on this stuff, and they, they really care about it. Mm-hmm. And they're focused on delivering. You know, they're focused on games. They really want to push the bounds on games. Their motivation for doing this is to make really awesome games yeah. at, at the very least. So, and you know yeah. what? I think the the elephant in the room in all of this. I think uh, Sony might have uh, all the money in the world, might have all the you know can hire all the people that they want. I think uh, community is something that Oculus has developed very well. They have this really, really powerful community, you know, uh, uh, rooting for them. And I don't know if, if Sony, yeah, in that impact of this community, the Oculus, you know, the Reddit, the MTBS forums, I, the impact of those communities and the way they they spread the information and support the company, I think uh, you can't put a dial, dollar sign on those things. Um, yeah, brand loyal, loyalty is, is very important. I think it reaches, it reaches a point where um, marketing spend is much much more influential. Mm, for the mass you know, consumers, right? much a word of voice that word of mouth can, can do. Yeah. And it certainly can, can stabilize your, your, you know, your, your foundations, your bottom line. But if you want to get out there mass penetration of these things, you've got to spend money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's certainly where you know, publishers can re- release a really bad game and, and still make a lot of money off it because they just you – know, it's you know, telling everybody it's awesome and they believe it's awesome. Then they go and buy it and find out it's not really that awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's going to be it, – this whole – 2014, I think, is going to be a very disruptive year for the gaming industry. Do you think so too or do you think uh, it's going to take a lot more uh, – of, more of an evolution instead of a uh, – you know, in terms of for the gaming industry, it's going to be uh, by the second time or the third time Oculus releases their, you know, their third generation device, then you'll see, you know, markets starting to shift. But uh, do you think this year will be disruptive or do you think it'll be eh, testing out the waters? Um, well, yeah, it'll be interesting because you, you, know, you, you still got the, the previous generation releasing games. You know, it's, it's yeah. going to be around for another two years. This. There's a couple of hundred million consoles out there, and people still playing them and using them. Um, you know, I bought Gran Turismo 6 yesterday for my PS3. I, I, I still use my old consoles quite a bit. I don't think those those consoles are, are done by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think the new generation of consoles are really going to get any traction. Um, I mean, they've sold all their, you know, the, there's a pretty high demand for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's going to taper off for a little bit until we start getting a lot more titles coming out for them. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I, I, I tend to see it more as like the market expanding rather than like everybody moving in one particular direction. The mobile industry is a new industry, and it, I don't know if it's necessarily – it may have eaten into hand, the handheld market a little bit for Nintendo, but Nintendo's 3DS is, is doing really strong. You know, it's, 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 it's a really profitable platform for them still. Yeah. Um, I still question some of their decisions when they sell, uh, sell their games – on their digital store at a higher price than it is to go in a retail store and buy a copy of it, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It discourages, discourages people from buying digitally. I agree. Um, but, and like, likewise with, with, with VR, I don't know if it's necessarily, 
it, it could be very disruptive in that, like I said to you before, when I play games now, after having experienced games in VR, it's it's um it feels like an inferior experience yeah. because it's just not as not as profound, it's not as compelling anymore. It's like before you, you hear people talking about being immersed in games. I find that quite difficult now. I don't feel like you know, I'm playing Assassin's Creed 4 and I'm selling that ship and it looks awesome. I really kind of enjoy the game. I certainly don't feel that sense of uh, suspension of disbelief anymore that, you know, where I just kind of get lost in it because mm-hmm. I'm, I can tell I'm staring at a screen and it, it's my brain is reminding me that this, this is not as good as something else that I've experienced. So in that case, once I think maybe you, know, you start have to see all these people that have gotten a VR kit and they're having that same kind of experience of like, now all I want now is VR. I don't want that anymore. I want all my stuff. And maybe slowly, eventually, everybody will move towards VR. Maybe in two generations of consoles, they'll be all VR. They'll come with a VR headset, assuming there is another generation. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that think, I don't, I'm still skeptical about the whole cloud computing thing or the, um, you know, the on-live uh, systems where they, they have massive banks of... Um, servers which render the games and run the games and they mm-hmm. send you a transcoded video mm-hmm. of, of the game so you just have a controller and, and a, a terminal essentially mm-hmm. you don't have any hardware locally um i'm still I, I still don't believe in that until they solve two things the fact that broadband infrastructure across the world isn't isn't big enough to support the kind of markets we have right now in terms of its penetration you can get someone someone in a social ec- economic low social economic background to go out and buy an Xbox console right now and they can afford that but they certainly might not be able to afford a high speed broadband connection mm-hmm. um, that kind of penetration I think a lot of things that drive those things are the people who live in those wealthy kind of um, you know uh, cities where that stuff is widespread but it's not widespread across the world in Australia we have this big issue right now there's a lot of um, uh, issues with we had this thing called the, the National Broadband Network and we were going to fiber optic the entire country and the new government came in and they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to spend the money and it's Aww. been a very big issue in terms of um, you know, people saying, well, you, you, you're, you're, you're crazy because you don't really understand the future economic benefits of having a digital economy and how much that would enhance and how much it would give us an advantage in the future. Yeah. So you know, countries certainly want to spend the money, but it's a very expensive thing to do. But the latency issue with, with those kinds of things, I think um, – what I worry about is that, that gamers in the future don't appreciate latency as much as we do today. Uh, you know, people that play things like Street Fighter, it's really critical to have really, really low latency inputs. Um, Carmack is a big proponent of latency. He has always wanted his games to run at 60 frames per second. You know, for him, that's critical. He always wants to remove as much crap between the input to the display as possible. Um, and that thing is, a, is the enemy of that thing. You know, it adds, you know, whatever your, your broadband... Um, latency is connection is plus you're transcoding video which is you know video bandwidth is, is quite high um it probably has compression artifacts in it so it doesn't look as nice all these sorts of problems you know um not having ownership of anything as well you yeah. know um in and on that particular issue I'm, i've been thinking now with this new generation of consoles that have just come out what's to become of everybody's digital library on on the last generation you know you bought all these things that require you to be connected to Xbox Live, like Xbox Live Arcade games yeah. and things that, you know, five years from now, am I still going to be able to play those? Is, is Microsoft going to eventually say, release some patch that says these things can be played offline now? Um, you because know, eventually they might just take it away from you. 
That's so that's so true. I, if only we had some sort of modular sort of console hybrid PC that could you could just extend its you know its 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 its, its shelf life uh over over yeah over the years like it, instead of having to replace the whole thing you all you have to do is th you know throw in a new graphics card and you know keep running which is the PC, yeah the pc is interesting as well because you know you've got you got changes in operating systems um that can make previous titles not work anymore things old games that required dos or really early versions of DirectX may not work anymore yeah um and unless you have a copy of those operating systems and the hardware you might not be able to use them anymore Unless someone manages to emulate those things, uh, puts the effort into doing those things, and um, you know, hmm. uh, Valve putting the effort into driving uh, into Linux. Um, my experience with Linux hasn't been great, you know. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. I, I, I'm pro. I, I think it'd be cool if it does happen. At the moment, I don't, I don't think it's um, until you're getting all the publishers releasing their games with a, a port of to to Linux mm -hmm. um, and the the graphics card manufacturers writing good drivers so you get good performance on them and then you've got APIs uh, ATI's Mantle um, a, uh, API yeah you heard of that uh, please enlighten me so uh, ATI has been developing this new API so graphics API uh, called Mantle mm -hmm. and their goal is to kind of um, get away from the issues that DirectX has. Um, and maybe to some extent OpenGL, where you know between the driver and the hardware uh, and it rendering, there's all this stuff that happens in between, and they have to you know have to do all these um, extra things in between. It reduces the, the performance of rendering a frame, um, and giving I guess what you could call console uh, level access that you have with consoles, developers can actually write much closer to the hardware and control the graphics hardware more directly, um, and not have to go through layers of abstraction. The drivers uh, and the and DirectX to get to it. Um, you know, if if Title starts supporting Mantle and B Battlefield 4 is coming to ha is going to have Mantle support soon, we might see you know a significant performance increase. And suddenly ATI cards have you know 25% performance advantage over anything Nvidia is doing because Nvidia is still reliant on um, on DirectX. Hmm. Maybe Nvidia will eventually support Mantle. Uh, who knows if it's if it's if if the performance is is significant enough. But again, that's that's creating a very specific API for a very specific piece of hardware. Interesting. When those things are gone, if they ever ever go, are you still going to be able to use those things? Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I I didn't even think about that, huh? That's uh. How and how long have they been working on Mantle for? How long has this been happening? I'm not, not really sure. Um, but I I do know that um Dice has been working with them. Mm -hmm. For some time, and I believe they're going to release a patch sometime soon mm -hmm. um, that adds the mental support. And if you have a ATI 290X, mm -hmm. one of the latest cards, um, you should see quite a significant performance bump. And and in fact, Dice is so impressed with it, and a lot of developers are that they're they're going to support it for all their future titles. Wow! It's part, you know, it's integrated as part of their engine, so anything that uses that engine will, will support it. That's that's really awesome, huh? Wow. Um, and it's it's good for, for uh, VR because um, you know we can have existing cards that are getting a certain level of performance right now. They're going to be faster in the future. Mm -hmm. Mental is actually one thing at a software level that's actually going to make things faster, not just um, you know, advances in hardware. Wow. You know, you uh, going back to earlier, you mentioned the singularity. Um, do you think? Uh, I mean, let's let's get let's go down the rabbit hole for a quick sec. 
where do you think VR will fit into the greater society 10 years from now? Like, like what, you know, will it be more than just gaming? Will it be more than just a peripheral sort of object? Will it be, you know, could it take, you know, a, a different form and, and have different applications? Um, what's your, what's your take on that? Did, you know, do you ponder much about that sort of stuff? Uh, yeah, like I said, before, I definitely think definitely think VR is going to be a thing, and I think it's going to be a, a big thing. It's gonna it's going to touch lots of people, not just gamers. Yeah. Um, it is such a compelling thing when you try it, and yeah, you know, like I said before, I think it has app, and and many other people are even experimenting now using it for different applications, um, like solving eye disorders or uh, phobias, or mm-hmm. um, could be used as a really compelling um, way of uh, visualizing training mm-hmm. situation scenarios for different industries like the mining industry. In fact, I worked, one of my contract jobs was working on a, a, a mining training simulation uh, in a big cave projection system. And that whole thing was about going, being in a cave, uh, sorry, in a, in a mine and mm-hmm. certain scenarios occurring like a, a roof collapse or an accident or a machinery accident, all these sorts of things. Wow. And Experiencing them in VR would be such a more impactful thing for the trainee than looking at a screen. Um, I think um, they would have, uh, um, and then cost more cost effective too. The the system I worked on before had a million dollar projection system, mm-hmm. um, just to give you a 360 degree perspective in this environment, and it wasn't even in 3D. Whereas mm-hmm. the Rift is a 300 dollar headset and would be much more impactful, right? Yeah. So, do you see yourself? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so like I said, I definitely think um, eventually solving some of the interaction issues uh, that um, it, at least for the visual uh, perception um, and the impact it has on that, it's definitely, you know, I, I, when I first got my river, I thought, oh, it'd be cool to just make a game where you're sitting on a banana chair on a tropical beach and you can hear the waves and, uh, or, you know, it could, it could be a, a resort island experience and you go and you go hang gliding or parachuting or ski skiing or anything like that, right? And it's not a game, it's just, well, you could have, gamification elements in it but um it's just to go and relax and you know you come home from work and you live in london and it's been raining for weeks and you can go and sit on a tropical beach um 10 years from now and the hardware performance is so high that it's you know it's really photorealistic man that's i think a lot of people will be wanting to opt into that certainly with the uh, state of the world and uh, the depressive status seems to continue on <laughs> With a lot of the issues in the world, I think a lot of people are going to be wanting to escape from uh, reality a bit. Yeah. Do you see yourself in the near or far distant future? Do you see yourself as a as a um, as a VR game developer, or do you think it's there? You know, do, are you exploring different you know applications for VR? Mind you, you know the assumption that the killer app. Uh, you know, we know that VR needs a killer app, but we don't know whether it's going to be a game. Or something else, and 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 you know, I, I wonder, like, will it be something else besides a game? I, I don't know. Um, who knows? True, right? Yeah. <laughs> who knows? I mean, because game, game, gamers, gamers love games, but I yeah. think gamers are also open to anything that's kind of interactive experience, right? Like, sure. um, and if if so, if it's a cool experience, and in fact, you know, I think there's there's two types of gamers. Maybe there's more, but I kind of think there's generally two categories. One's that really like game mechanics. So they're like board games. They're like numbers. They're like, like the interplay of the mechanics. And then you have people that want to be immersed in, in an experience. And they're, they're generally two types of people, people that are really pro first-person shooters 
and really being immersed in an environment, they're more of the escapist type of gamer, whereas the other gamer is the traditional kind of mechanics gamer that likes game mechanics. Um, so, yeah, they, those things can diverge a bit, and, and sometimes they, they come together as one and the same thing. You try to mash those things together all the time. This constant push for graphical fidelity and photorealism is, is kind of driven by that, right? We want to be immersed. We want to step out of reality and be in a, an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. So... Um, <clears throat> In terms of myself, you know, I mean, I, I really don't know. I, I really love games. I really like making games. But I'm at an age now where, um, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about things that I would find more uh, maybe contributive to society, I guess, is one way to put it, like being working in education or finding something that I can sit back and say, hey, you know, I help people with this thing. Um, that could be rewarding. I just, I just really don't know. You know, a lot of the decisions I make sometimes are purely driven from a, an economic situation. You know, I need to make money. I've got a family, so um, I like to try and find something that's interesting and fun. It's great what I do right now. I've, I've, I've been really lucky with the situation I'm in now, where my wife also works. But I've made enough money off Lunar Flight that's allowed me to not have to go and get a job and be my own boss and make my own decisions. It's very scary at the same time because. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, I don't have a follow-up for the game, so it, the, the money I'm making off Lunar Flight has been tapering off, and it's not really now something, unless I, I do well with the Rift, with the consumer kit, it's kind of my last bet that at least I'll make some money at, at that point. Hmm. But, you know, I've contemplated getting another job, going to work at another company. I've contemplated starting a new company that specializes in VR and trying to, trying to find investors that are brave enough to, to dive into that. There's some people here in Brisbane that I've, I've thought about approaching. I think that may be interested in that, um, capitalist, uh, venturist type people. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I certainly would like to stay working in VR. It's yeah. something that's really, like I said before, stimulated me. And, um, yeah. and I hope you do because you have amazing talent, by the way. I'm sorry to interrupt. I hope you do. <laughs> you you have, uh, yeah, you have really good, I mean, just from the little I got to play Lunar Flight, I'm telling you, you have something going there, buddy. Stay stay at it. I encourage you, please. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> yeah, like I said before, you know, I, 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 uh, I have been thinking about trying to put a team together, but it's just so, it's so difficult, at least to put a team together without money. You know, I, have, I certainly have made a lot of friends over the years in the games industry. There's a lot of people wanting to do indie development in Australia because a lot of them don't have jobs or they're working in jobs that they don't like. They're super talented people trying to put a little team together, trying to find someone to give us some money to go away and build some stuff. Um, Often, um, you know, it's very – finding that thing that you're going to build is usually the hardest thing. It's like, what are you going to make? Mm, What can we make? And we all – we like space games. We like RPGs. We like shooters. We like all these different things. But what do we choose to go after? Mm-hmm. Uh, what works with the strengths of our own skill sets? What um, what we think people would actually be willing to buy and play? Mm-hmm. Um, do we care about that? Should we just chase what we want to make? In fact, Lunar Flight is a good example of me just being totally ignorant to what people want and just building a game for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it was driven, you know, rarely did I sit back and think, um, you know, should I make this easier? Mm-hmm. No, uh, I'm quite happy with with its level of difficulty because that's the experience that is the game that's the core experience cool. and if i deviate from that then you know I, that's not the vision i originally had yeah so yeah. let me ask you about you know what would be you know if you if you went up to a, a, an investor and you and you said in your mind at least what is the minimum 
amount of, of, of you know, just guesstimation, obviously, uh, the minimum amount of money you would need to build something. And what is the dream? What would be your dream budget? Well, it, you know, that's an interesting question. It, it, when you, when you, when you, if you're starting a team or studio, mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch of extra costs that you don't probably don't initially consider. Like you need to get lawyers, and you need to pay rent, and you need to pay in Australia, you need to pay superannuation for each employee. So the actual, um, the actual cost per person is usually higher than just a standard wage. They've got to pay taxes and all these other things. So someone that wants to earn, <clears throat> um, and let's be real here, a lot of people don't want to earn uh, peanuts mm. and not a lot of people want to take a big risk and just make nothing in the hope that they might make something. So you have to be real realistic about the money you ask for mm. and certainly publishers know what it costs per seat per month. You know, what is your uh, cash flow to keep that keep the lights on? Um, and it's not unrealistic to think that you need several hundred thousand dollars just for a four-man team uh, to run for six to 12 months. Um, who wants to give you $200,000, you know? And I, I'm quite surprised often when you see these Kickstarter um, budgets that people are trying to build these games with these mm -hmm. these small budgets because when I look at it, I think, wow, you know, looking at the scope of what you're promising to deliver, you're either happy to, you know, live on noodles every day mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, you, you know your, your particular, um, you're not so much worried about your standard of living mm -hmm. um, where you live isn't very expensive maybe you live at home with your parents I don't know um, that's great if you do and you can, you're happy to do that it's great for young kids I think like people that don't have any commitments yeah. a person like myself I'm 37 I've got two kids I've got a car I've got a house yeah. and you know, it's uh, it's critical that I make the right choice so when you're thinking about a budget um, for me the people that I want to work with the people that have the talent that I want to work with they would ask for you know anywhere from seventy to a hundred thousand dollars each, and so there's you know if I wanted a four man team, I need four hundred grand mm -hmm. uh, to keep them happy to to know, to have them committed to what we're doing. You know, um, mm -hmm. I don't want them to. I, I'm not really keen on you know having a virtual team that works through the internet. Mm -hmm. um, I'd rather have local people that we can meet together. We would we could still work from home, but we would meet together regularly. I want that to have to happen. Interesting. Whether you you rent a studio or not, or you, you know, it's, it's hard to say. That, that's the, one of the toughest things when you, you manage a team, I guess, or start a, a new outfit. Uh, it's lots of stuff to consider um, to do that. And I've been operating just on myself. You asked me earlier what, what my team was. Um, so the, the guy who wrote the music for Lunafly, uh, and he also built a lot of the, um, the, the, the structures, the little habitats and things, um, he's a guy named Jason Poots. Yeah. Uh, Jason and I met each other in our first job at, at, in, in back in 2001, I think it was, at a little company. We both were hired as level designers. And we still know each other today, and um, he just offered to help me out, and he wrote the music for us uh, and built some models. Uh, and another friend of mine, Matt Carr, who I met, he was my lead uh, programmer at when I worked on the mining training simulation, and um, he's doing his own indie thing now as well. Um, he's making a game called Probably Archery. I'm not sure if you've seen that one. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. His name is awesome. Macar, and he, uh, he's done a little bit of work for me. You know, I just pay him several hundred dollars a day. I tell him I need this particular system. He did uh, most of the work on my leaderboard system. Uh, but that's about it. You know, and a lot of the stuff that's gone into Lunafly is stuff I've either bought systems off the app, the, um, 
the asset store on Unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great thing about Unity. You know, you've got this really lively community where everyone's sh- either sharing free code or helping each other solve problems. Or they just, you know, they sell complete um, components of a game that you need, like an aiming system or a targeting system or a control input system or anything like that. There's so much stuff on, on the store. So occasionally I've bought stuff. The, the spacesuit model that I have in, in the Oculus build, mm-hmm. I just went on to TurboSquid and looked for a spacesuit model. It cost me $300 for the model. But, you know, if I can make you know, sell 30 copies of the game, it's paid for itself, mm-hmm. and it adds a lot to the game. So it's this little small investments that I've made, and when I, the money that I've made off the game, I put back into it to buy stuff, buying licenses for Unity, the pro licenses, $1,500, and our licenses for other software. So. Wow. Yeah. So wow, that's uh well thank you for that. That was uh that was super enlightening. That was I yeah, thank you. I I needed to hear, you know, that that sort of detail and 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 sort of numbers being flushed out. Thank you. I I needed to hear that. That's awesome. Um sure. and, and so would you So what sort of, you know, what what can you what can a consumer expect? Uh, just sort of just to you know finish off this these questions in this realm. Uh, what could it what can a consumer expect with a with a from a team a four person team with a four hundred thousand dollar budget working for a year in a VR game? What what sort of things are possible at that point? Well, yeah, that really depends on the skill of the team, mm-hmm. um, their work ethics, <laughs> and that critically how how committed they are. And there are other commitments as well. Yeah, usually people that are highly skilled are older people and they have a lot of other commitments to deal with life and family and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult question to answer very accurately. You know, it, it depends on the scope of the project. What sort of game are they trying to make? How much content do they want to put in the game? Often the first part of developing the game is building the prototype, building that, that the core experience. So for, in Lunar Flight's case, it's like just building getting the, the controls to work and allowing to fly that spaceship around um, and then you know, um, working out what the actual game mechanics are, so what the missions are, how they're built. Once you kind of work out what your pipeline is for building all that stuff, then you can say, okay, cool, we know we can build one level and it has all the types of things in it. Now let's build 10 levels. How long is it going to make take us to build 10 levels? Well, each level might have a different theme, so you might want to spend time researching that stuff. Um, does it need new assets built for it because it's on a, you know, you can't reuse your assets all that much. In Lunar Flight's case, I reuse the assets quite a lot because mm-hmm. uh, there's only so few of them. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many variables really that can influence what you would get out of a, a four-man team for that long. Um, you know, what is your team made up of? Is it you know a designer, a programmer, an artist, and a producer who's kind of managing all the tasks to keep everybody on track of what they need to do? Um, you know, having a Having a programmer producer that kind of does both jobs. Um, do you have a sound guy, you know, who can produce sound effects? If you don't, can you afford to buy sound effects because they can be expensive as well? Or can you make them yourself? Uh, can you afford any marketing? Can you go and pay for advertising? How are you going to deal with your marketing? You know, are you going to spend days and days trawling different forums, trying not to be flamed for dropping on a forum of an int- particular interest group that might be interested in trying to raise awareness? emailing every possible website that you know of that's into games. I certainly tried that, and I probably only got a response from 5% of them. It's really, really challenging. I got some good wins with a couple of them. I managed to get a few articles out of Kotaku and uh, Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. 
Um, and certainly once you get onto Steam, it's just kind of slow trickle of people discovering your game, telling their friends about it. Yeah. So, but it's tough, man. Like get, making games is really, really tough. It's I hear you. I hear you. It, 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 what keeps you? What keeps you motivated to keep going? Um. Well, yeah. You know, since I've been working on Lunaflight, I've I've had more work satisfaction working on Lunaflight than I had in that entire ten years that I worked for studios. That's awesome. You know, yeah, you know, it's any well, in my particular case, I worked on a lot of titles that never shipped. Um, they were either cancelled or the studio closed early, or mm. uh, so you know, a lot of the work that I did in that ten years never never saw the light of day. Um, so that's kind of destroying. But at the same time, um, you also you're just a cog in the machine. You don't unless you are one of the leads or uh, you know the director or whatever. You don't really have a lot of influence over the choices that are made and quite often you can be very frustrated with the choices that are being made because you know you just sometimes you just know some people are out of out of uh out of their depth when they whatever positions i've worked with some people that were not probably shouldn't have been in those positions mm. but um that's just that's the nature of that, that beast when you work in that kind of uh big industry so um i much prefer what i'm doing now i much prefer working with a small team with a smaller scope project and being able to hit a really high quality level um, and be able to deliver on something that you believe in and, and your own particular vision is, is worth more than any of that, you know, even if you're not earning as much money. Um, there's lots of things I don't have to pay for now. I don't need to commute every day. I don't need to buy my lunch every day. I don't make it. Um, you know, I don't have to do any of those sorts of things. So I don't need to get dressed in the morning to go. When last job I had, I had to wear slacks and a shirt. I had to iron pants and a shirt every day and, Oh man, I hated that. After ten years of wearing shorts and t-shirts every day to work, uh, that was a rude shock. So, yeah, so, certainly, certainly worth that um, that risk and, and fear of, of the unknown to it's, it, to enjoy the excitement of it. You know. Yeah, that's. Uh, I couldn't imagine myself being in your shoes. That's but 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 thank you for having the balls to do it and and go and putting yourself out there and. Because you're 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 exactly what you know this community, the VR fans need. People who are developing the software for this thing. Because if there's no software, there's no Oculus, and, and you're you're out there trying to trying to do something about that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Like, yeah, that was one of my one of my motivating factors for for working on the the Oculus Rift integration. But at the same time, you know, it was very much. This is so cool. How can I make this really, really cool? How can I deal with all these issues? It wasn't necessarily me going, oh, how can I solve? How can I make the best thing that as anyone's ever made? That wasn't really what I was thinking. It was like, how do I solve all the problems um, and make the best experience I can make? Um, so yeah, I think I think as you said before, I, I do think Lunafly is probably the first game to market that has a, 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 a built-for experience that's been designed specifically for it. Um, and uh, you know, even even things like Hawken and uh, uh, Euro Truck Simulator and, and these other things, they still accept that they have compromises because they were never designed originally for it. Whereas when I started my integration, it was like, well, I need a cockpit, and it, and I need it because I'm building VR. I need a new UI system, and it needs to be designed for VR. Um, whereas those ones, um, I don't think they they added support, but they didn't really go back and add all those extra rework all those extra things uh, mm -hmm. to really make it 100%. So um, I'm pretty happy with that. It's been sitting at, at num the top-rated title on the Oculus Share site since it went up there, I think for you know, nearly a month now. Um, 
And uh, congratulations, by the way. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's 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 interesting. Because I think there's kind of this love hate thing. There's like, um, particularly with the media, like they they see it, they kind of acknowledge it for what it is, but they don't want to talk about it. Like I don't know what it is. It's it's hmm. really strange. Um, but, yeah, probably because of the niche and the subject matter. Um, you you find people in the media, they're, they're big gamers, but it, they're not into simulations or stuff like that. Hmm. Uh, and they're not going to spend the time talking about Lunar Flight when they could be talking about Assassin's Creed 4 or something like that, you know. So, yeah. um, but you would think, given it's, uh, it's recognition so far, that there, there would be a little bit more media interest in it. But, you know, I've had, I've had nothing at all from any any media. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. Um, Tested.com. They did okay. a review of a bunch of uh, Oculus titles, and they said that Lunar Flight was, and this was early in its um, initial um, beta release, uh, was the best thing they tried on it. So that was cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully the 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 that will start changing as time goes goes on, right? You know, as we get approach a closer uh, launch window, and who knows, I might I might see you at the next E3, you know, promoting uh, lunar, lunar flight. Who knows? It's it's all in the realm of possibility. Um, Sean Edwards, you've been you've been an awesome guest. I think uh, I I yeah I need to re-listen to this conversation later on because all the amounts of useful and cool information you gave me. Thank you, man. Um, Welcome, Chris. You are truly a scholar and a gentleman of virtual reality. So thanks again for your time. Can I get can I uh, can I get some more information for the community? You know how to follow your game. Any any updates? Anything coming up? Um, there's no, there's not really any updates coming up. I'm, okay. I'm planning maybe a, 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 one last update to fix a couple of bugs. Um, if you want to get Lunar Flight, just search for it on Steam or search for Lunar Flight on Google. You'll, you'll arrive on my, uh, website. If you're going to buy the game, please buy it through the humble widget, uh, because I receive 95% of the revenue rather than 70% that way. Oh. Um, so that, that helps me out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, not much else to say. Well. Sean Edwards, thank you so much for your time. The creator of Lunar Flight, thank you. No worries. Thanks, Chris.